the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, staggering statistics regarding student mental health. And also, we're joined by K.J. Johnson, director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Aubrey, I've been off for a week. I know, Brian. It's so good to have you back. It is we good to be back. We missed you. We had some fun, fun guests filling in for you. But, you know, no one's like Brian Fromm. Well, come on now. I appreciate that. But, uh... A weird thing happens when you have a daily radio show and then you go away for a week. On the one hand, it's really nice. You get a break. You unplug. I yeah. didn't pastor this week. I didn't do you know, I didn't do the radio show. I was just with my family mm-hmm. on spring break doing mm-hmm. that. But the other thing is things happen in the world. And the beauty of a daily radio show is you get to talk about it. And then I go away. We're going to talk about this later. <laughs> Will Smith slaps Chris a Rock. Lot and I'm happened like, and you, co- you weren't here to talk about I'm it, I'm like yelling at my kids and my wife about the slap. And they're like, <laughs> what, what do I care? And so it is good to yeah. be back. I was like, okay, I've got all these things I want to talk about. Some We're going to get up energy. Yeah. We are going to get to it. But my family and I, uh, Aubrey, spring break's just a wonderful time. You had was a nice able, time. Yeah, we went good. to Tennessee. We were out at a condo that my in-laws graciously gave to us. It was, just, like I told you, got in the middle of nowhere. We spent one day in the Smoky Mountains. Fun. My wife and kids were in Nashville before I got down there. Uh, little teaser for later. Car broke down on the ride home in the I mountains of Tennessee. I'm so sorry, and I cannot <laughs> wait to hear this story. It's, uh, it is a funny story in the end. It ends with a happy ending, but uh, car problems in another state, uh, not good. No, not good at all. No bueno. Not good. So how was your weekend? What did you do? I, I was mean, traveling the whole time. I, I actually traveled over the weekend. I went to my little sister's baby shower, which was a big event. Whole family came into town for it, got to spend some time with them. But for spring break, I was manning on the fort here, Brian. Yes, you were. Yes, and you it were. was fun. It was fun to have. We had some great special guests. We had a live kind of in concert it's experience fun. last Monday. That was really fun with our worship pastor and uh, the lead singer of a band, Aaron Andrews. And Kevin came in. It was really fun to get to do a show with my husband, Kevin. But I am glad you are back. So I will just end with this portion. Then I want to get to my fa- one of my favorite things from the weekend. Uh, I understand why you had to write this, but I was a little hurt when your <laughs> husband was in and you tweeted or you Facebook like the best looking co-host we've yeah, ever had. On I was the waiting Good. for you to respond and to it. And you like, never well, did. No response could be appropriate because everyone's like, you should say that about your husband. Right, but I was right. like. Hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> Hurt my I'll heart a little bit. about you too, <laughs> no, no, that, that would not be appropriate. So, All right. Maybe my favorite thing, once I got home for the weekend, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing you did not see this, but did you see the North Carolina Duke basketball game on Saturday night? So I, I did it, but only because we were in oh, like, were what? yeah, we're doing major like bridal or wet, baby were shower you in Oklahoma? stuff. I was did you go all the way back? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we'll give you a pass on that. Thank For those you. who don't know, North University of North Carolina and Duke are not just the large, the biggest 
college basketball rivalry that there is, you could make an argument that they're on the short list of of biggest rivals, sports rivals in any sport. The yes. Bears and the Packers yes. are on there, the Yankees yes. and the Red Sox. Yeah. But uh, Ohio State, Michigan in football, but Duke and North Carolina in basketball is on that list. They've never played in the Final Four before. They are like six miles from each other. Wild. That's what makes this so yes, crazy. So crazy. They are now playing in the Final Four. And on top of that, Duke's legendary coach, Mike Krzyzewski, is retiring at the end of the year. And so the game lived up to it. The game was great if you watched it. Duke ends up losing to North Carolina. So North Carolina is playing Kansas tonight for the national championship. Uh, But it was amazing. It was like the the, kind of the biggest game they've ever played. The biggest rivals in North Carolina knocks out Duke, their biggest rival, and ends the career of the legendary coach. Wow. All right. So it was awesome. The Gospel Coalition, as they did, wrote what I thought was somewhat of a fascinating article because you and I are both pastors. We like to turn these things yes, to the do. church. Yes, we do. like to spiritualize them. Uh, this author, Winfrey Brisley, she wrote about this. She's a big UNC fan. And she talked about having people in her church who like Duke. And she hates Duke. <gasps> and she hates Duke fans. <laughs> like, there's this deep-seated hatred. I For our it. local listeners here, here's what I would equate it to. You go to church, you're a, you're a Bears fan. Yes. And the guy next to you or the woman next He's to you wearing is a wearing Packers an Aaron Rodgers yeah, jersey yeah, or whatever yeah. else. And what kind of, to, to get it then off of just the sports, but what about you vote differently? Mm. You, whatever else, you know, maybe vote might be the pinnacle. <laughs> might, <laughs> right, right. No you have a different in, stance on something. No, no you pun see intended. something differently. No pun yeah. intended. That trumps all of these conversations, right? <laughs> How do we respond, though, within the church, under the umbrella of Christian unity, with people that we vehemently disagree with, whether sports, politics, or whatever? This article goes on to say... It helps me remember that we need to that that what we believe is much more important than these things. Yeah. Something we could really learn, especially on the politics side. Yeah, right now. I saw somebody post something last week that said, Oh, how rude. The people who disagree with me also bear God's image. And I thought, <laughs> that's it. Like that's what we sort of have to remember wherever you are on the side of whatever you're on. Remember that the people that you think are, quote unquote, on the other side are image bearers filled with the Imago Dei and therefore are meant to be treated with honor, dignity, respect, even in the midst of disagreement. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, whether you vote differently, but you cheer for the different team. It was just funny to read this article. She's like, I'm going to church with people who I say (laughs) I vehemently hate, but I know I'm called to love them. I love them. them. And uh, we could learn a lot from that because there's so much division in our world, but also in our church. As things are getting back to normal a little bit, we're getting people back in mm-hmm. here with us. And with that in mind, we are joined by the director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago, K.J. Johnson. K.J., how you doing, friend? It's good to be back. Yeah, it is. It's good to have you back, so man. So good to have you. All right. I'm, I've got a question for you that, that I said I was going to ask you first. But before we do that, tell us about the C.S. Lewis Institute. What is it? What is it that you do there? We are a discipleship ministry. Mm-hmm. Our motto is discipleship of heart and mind. And we were founded in the 1970s by two men, one of whom was friends with C.S. Lewis. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he uh, said their vision was not to make more fans of Lewis, but to make more people like Lewis. Mm. And so I like to say, while there are organizations out there that are dedicated to the preservation and celebration of C.S. Lewis's legacy, we're more oriented on living out his legacy. Mm. So we'll do some things that may have nothing to do with Lewis. So, for example, you guys had Cameron on the show last week. Mm-hmm. I helped set that up because we did an event with him Friday night, 
on deconstruction and how yeah. people are losing their faith. And yeah. I feel like that's the sort of thing Lewis probably would have addressed if he were alive. Oh, Interesting. That's good. So and sometimes it's Lewis, you know, because Lewis is such a rich yeah. um, topic of study and mm-hmm. everything he wrote, but some, many times not. Okay. So the question I told you I'd ask you, why still read Lewis, right? Lots of new books out there. I'm sitting across the table from an author here. Uh, you, we, Aubrey and I are both Wheaton grads. A lot of people talk about Lewis there, a lot of study there. Uh, but why should, in your opinion, why should people still be reading C.S. Lewis? Because he was a man well ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things he wrote, apply, it, they could have been written today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well as, I don't think, at least from the 20th century onward, I don't think there's anybody who really married that heart and mind that I was talking about yeah. quite as well as he did. That's and so he does true. all of that through his use of imagination. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay, but why, uh, one of the reasons we're really excited to have you here is to talk about the Fellows Program at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Right. It's open. You're taking applications. Right. Uh, tell our listeners what that means, how they can apply, and who should apply. Okay, so this is a program we've been running for just over 20 years now, and it is not a Lewis study program. We do read Lewis, mm. but we read, I mean, it's based on Scripture first and mm-hmm. foremost, but we read... Tim Keller, Lloyd-Jones, A.W. Tozer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all of those great people. And what it is, is I I call it a laboratory for discipleship. Mm. I mean, our desire is to build up the church in discipleship. And this is just one of the ways we do it, where Mm. we we bring people into this laboratory and teach them the the mechanics, the art and science of what it means to be a disciple. Mm. And and to be in the program, you have to have a, it's a a tuition-free program, I'll say that up front. But we, we do an application process because we only want serious people. Mm. And to be in the program, they've got to get a recommendation from their pastor. And then at the end of the program, when they make a disciple-making plan, they're supposed to do that in concert with their pastor. Interesting. They're supposed to sit down. So the, all of this is supposed to be done in, with, and alongside the church. Yeah. It's not meant to be an individual parallel institution. Love that. That's really cool. Again, that's the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program taking applications now. Uh Talk to us about discipleship. Every time I've had you in here, it's now over three years, you've been in here a couple times. You have a passion for discipleship. I Why? Do. Why? I do. And it's my first time with Aubrey, by the way. That's right. That's right. Um, so fun. I love it. <laughs> got a bell to ring or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we get you a jacket for being here with me today. I, I mean, short and sweet. I'm one of those kids who grew up in the church. I had mm. a good Christian upbringing. Mm. Then I went to college and punted it all into the stands <laughs> mm. and did my thing for the next six, seven years. Mm. And in the long way back in my journey to getting serious again about my faith, I, I, I analyzed where I'd been and why I went off the rails. And I realized I had never been discipled. Mm. Mm. So wow. I went on a journey looking for that. And I had some, what I call near misses. And then I came into contact with the C.S. Lewis Institute mm. while I was at the towards the end of my first career in the Marine Corps. Mm. And that was my first foray into authentic discipleship. Mm. And it was just a clarion moment where I thought, why has no one ever told me that the Christian life can be like this mm. and it should be like this? Mm. And so I've just been on a mission ever since to make sure as few people as possible, as much as I can help it, would have to go through the same thing. Absolutely. And I would love to hear you talk about what that discipleship process was for you. Like when you finally realized like, oh, now I'm being discipled because of the C.S. Lewis Institute or other influences your life. Like what what was happening day to day that made you go, now I'm being discipled towards Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in this case, I was in the fellows program. So it was a very gotcha. intensive and in- intentional setting. And I was in a setting where I was being mentored in a one-on-one 
uh, format. We also did they they teach peer to peer discipleship groups of three or four, as well as small group and one on many. So I felt like I was immersed in everything discipleship oriented in one year. And I was blessed that my mentor in that year was the president of the Institute and he wow. was the guy who designed the fellows wow. program. And um, he just pushed me deeper and deeper into a theology of discipleship mm. in that year because I was just so hungry at the time. Mm. But it was really that, that it's the relational setting. Yeah. It wasn't just me reading books and studying, yeah. but it was in a, in a community. That's, That's great. Yeah, I think awesome. that we talk about that often on here. That is something that lacks uh, in our culture mm-hmm. with time and everything else. Let's get back to the fellows program. Uh, how do people apply? How do they go? Where do they go? And where could they also just get more information? They can just go to our website, cslewisinstitute.org. I know it's a mouthful, but no punctuations in there. Mm-hmm. cslewisinstitute.org. And there's a tab up there that says fellows program. You can click on that. If you go to the locations and drill into Chicago, you can find my contact information, and you can send me an email. We're taking applications through the 15th of April. Okay. okay. Um, although if someone's really, really wanting to, I can work with them on that. There you go. And how long is the program again? It's one-year program. One-year okay. program. One-year program, you're being intentionally discipled kind of in the model of C.S. Lewis where we're we're combining heart and mind to move you towards Jesus. I love that. Again, it's the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program taking application through April 15th. Okay, KJ, I have to ask you. What's your favorite Lewis book? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a very... Or a, a top, top three. No, 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 no. Two. Let's make him be favorite. I want to hear this. I want to hear this. favorite child? <laughs> that's what I said. You can do top three. Top yeah. three. Um, well, the common answer in the, the Lewis world is the one I'm currently reading. <laughs> that's um, good. That's good. But I would have to say um, I have a strong affinity for miracles. Oh, I've heard I, that. I, I mean, I love mere, uh, mere Christianity, yeah. like screw tape letters, and the Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read miracles at a time in my life where it really helped me grow. So it was, you know, you read a book or see a movie that meant a lot to you at that time, and then yeah. you look back on it, and maybe it held up or didn't. Yeah, yeah. I think this holds up, um, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily his best. I think the mere Christianity is probably up there, but that one has a soft spot in my heart for that's when awesome. I read it. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Do you have a favorite? I, I like Surprised by Joy or yeah. Till We Have Faces. What about you? I, old school, I like the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Wait, right? have you told KJ your joke when you're like, I don't know who this quote is, but I'm going to say it's C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I'm sure you hear that often in church. <laughs> I've, I've said this from our pulpit. I'll go, I don't know who said this. So I either have to, you know, the joke is usually say Abraham Lincoln, right? Like this yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. in the Christian world is, I don't know who said this. So I'm just going to assume it was C.S. Lewis. And then <laughs> you oh, go, well, there's like, an quote. angry online community. I was going to say, people are very mad about there's that. There's even Sorry, a website Brian. that will debunk bad quotes. <laughs> I, I, I say it more as a joke, but yes. Lewis has that much influence uh, to get it yeah. again. Yeah, but uh, as a pastor, if you don't quote Lewis, are you really evangelical? Exactly. Exactly. I, That's the point, I think. I told Aubrey when I was at Wheaton, I started mere Christianity like three times because I'm like, I should, I need to read this if I I'm a good Christian. This. And it, I fit, it's a fabulous book. So, okay. Well, give the website one more time, KJ. Where can people go to get to them? www.cslewisinstitute.org. Again, K.J. Johnson, he's the director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago. And again, the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program is taking applications through April 15th. K.J., you've always been a good friend of the mm-hmm. show. We'll do this again, man. Thanks for doing man, this. It's so good to be back and in studio with you guys. Love it's really you. good. It's really good. Uh, again, thanks, K.J., for joining us. Aubrey, I want to tackle a difficult subject. But before we do that, 
We've been excited here on The Common Good and at AM 1160 to be partnering and supporting an organization called SOS International. Why don't you remind our listeners about SOS? Yeah, SOS International is this incredible organization. I've got to spend time with a few of their staff members over the last month just talking about what they're doing. They're on the ground in countries around the world rescuing and rehabbing young girls and women from situations of human trafficking. And I mean, they have... They've been on the ground for over 30 years. Like they have an incredible track record of actual life change. And right now you can actually partner with them by giving a donation to SOS International by going to 1160hope.com. There's an SOS International banner at the top of the page. Click on that. Your gift of $150, first of all, will be matched, doubled. Second of all, that gift goes to um, complete care for a month for a woman mm. or child being rescued. It is an absolutely incredible way to be the hands and feet of Jesus today. That's great. And we're close to our goal. So maybe you're the person who pushes it over the goal. Go to AM 1160 uh, and and you can find out. Again, you can go click on the banner and help. All right, Aubrey, I found this to be really sobering. Uh, let me just read the headline out of the Washington Post the other day. Uh, a cry for help. CDC warns of a steep decline in teen mental health. Mm. Uh, you and I have teenagers, preteens. Like we're, this is our crew right here, right? Yeah, it and, is. Uh, this survey of seventy seven hundred uh, teenagers across the nation was taken in the fall of twenty twenty one. So okay. right in the middle of the pandemic. Okay. okay, this is like their first school, full school year, uh, remote, all this kind of stuff. Uh, So they did this kind of assessment of teenager mental health. Let me give you some of these sobering statistics, Aubrey. Four in 10 teens reported that they feel, quote, persistently sad or hopeless. Wow. Let let that sink in for a second. 40% of teenagers reported that they feel persistently sad or hopeless. One in five surveyed say that they have contemplated suicide. Deborah Ori, a deputy director at the CDC, said these data echo a cry for help. The COVID-19 pandemic has created traumatic stressors that have the potential to further erode students' mental well-being. And there's Mm -hmm. some more here, but those were the really big uh, wow numbers, especially Uh, that four in 10 to use the phrase persistently sad or hopeless. I'd like first to hear, Aubrey, just how that strikes you, how you feel about that. And then I want us to dig in and kind of go, what's causing this right now? I mean, unfortunately, it fits with some of the other rates we've read about the, you know, the incline in, in suicide or suicidation at this mm-hmm. age. And, you know, of course, you think about the difficulty of the COVID pandemic mm-hmm. for adults here are kids that were forced to live in isolation, only be in front of a screen, which has damaging effects for hours. Um, many of them dealing with, you know, all kinds of struggles, even those that weren't. I mean, you know, we're, I'm assuming a safe home life. There were students at home in completely abusive home lives mm. for over a year if they were outside of school, you know, if they were doing remote learning. And so. And then just the difficulty with schoolwork because of it. And I do think, I you know, I haven't looked at what the science says, but I do think it's obvious that the pain, the trauma of the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. not to mention adding to that the pain and trauma of social media, some of the devastating things we've covered, you know, with that over the past few years, that we have to take our teens' health really seriously. Mm-hmm. And this generation in particular, because of what they've walked through because of COVID, 
I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take, Brian, but parents, you got to talk to your kids. That's right. Schools, we got to get proactive. Like, whatever we can to bring health back to this generation is going to be really, really necessary. And statistics are not equal amongst boys and girls. Girls reported uh, reported faring worse than boys. They were, in fact, twice as likely to report poor uh, mental health. And mm. so we start to ask the question, why? Because yeah. I think you and I are parents, uh, and this is where we're at. These are the age kids we have, that our friends have, all of this. And mm. I don't want to just hang this on the pandemic. I think the pandemic accentuated some things, yeah. but we already saw declining mental health statistics amongst teens mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and so I want to ask, what's this all about? What's going on here and what can we do? Actually, when I was reading this, I asked my 18-year-old daughter. I just said, "Oh, really, Mads? What do you what do you think about this? What's going on?" What did she and, say? You know, she she uh, she talked about um, social media. Yeah, that uh, all it was it was interesting to hear it from her because it's what you hear from the experts. Her saying, "You know, when you're on social media, all you see is everyone else's best. Yeah, you know where they went on spring break. Yeah, where they're doing this, where they're going to college, or this. Mm. Everyone puts their best out there, but the teenagers that could be really debilitating. Uh, talked about the pandemic, but I also think we've. David French said this in an article he put out this week. I think that we have started putting." We've begun putting pressures on our teenagers that I don't think we felt. I'll put this another way. I feel like we're making our kids grow up younger. Yeah. So what what maybe you and I went through in eighth grade, they're now learning or going through in fifth grade. Yeah. What you and I did in college, they're doing in high school. And I'm seeing these pressures, whether it's athletics, Mm -hmm. academics, social, whatever else it might be. There's these unique pressures that I think... Even 25 years ago, you and I didn't feel. Absolutely. Maybe felt them when we got a little bit older. That now we're asking our kids to deal with. And it's getting younger and younger and younger. uh, And and all of that just adds up. And then I think the the hyper-connectiveness of our phones and always being on and the pressures. I think our kids are like these uh, just full balloons. And the question is, what's going to pop that balloon, right? Like, are we going to relieve that pressure somehow? Or is it going to come out in destructive ways? I I think that's what's going on. Anything that I missed that you could think is causing this pressure on our kids? No, I mean, I think think what worries me, and I know it's not only social media. I know we can't look at one thing and say that's it. But we do see the... That social media is causing major adverse reactions in our kids' souls and minds yeah. and their mental health. And at what point do we say, okay, enough is enough? Mm. Like teens should not be on social media, period. Like this is a health hazard for them. This is a health crisis for them. Uh, you know, I feel like like you're right, the balloon, something's going to burst and it's bursting already. I mean, these rates are so scary and so sad. I I I I wish I knew the answer except like oh lord give all of us parents the mm. grace and the wisdom to be connecting with our teens talking with our teens reminding them how loved they are how valuable they are and I mean this this to me does feel like one of those things where we need our kids need Jesus our kids need community our kids need healthy yes. family our kids need healthy lines of communication and don't be afraid, I think, too, to get your child or your teenager 
to a therapist if they need one. Mm. There's no shame in that. There's free resources at the school. There's free resources in the county. There are organizations out there that will help your kid. But at the end of the day, like their life really matters. Mm. And I do think you're right, Brian. Like all of it was exacerbated by the pandemic. But I don't think we can... I'm afraid we're just going to in our in our desire to rush past covid season that we're going to miss the emotional trauma that it caused. And Mm -hmm. I think we do need to allow our kids. I don't know how exactly, but to process what they went through in order to come out healthier rather than unhealthy. That's a good word. And I would say to parents, I'm one of them. I would say uh, rather than looking for your kids to perform and putting that sort of pressure on them, make sure that relationship and those lines of communication are open with your kids. If you don't feel like they are, like you just said, not just take them to maybe a counselor, but maybe go to family counseling and begin to open up those doors. You don't want to be regretful later going, oh, you know, I was busy. They were busy. I wanted them to get straight A's and all of this stuff. What can we be doing to relieve some of this pressure and have the hard conversations with our kids that we need to have. And ultimately, we believe here, pointing them to the to the hope and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where ultimately uh, our kids need to find their hope as well. Well, sobering statistics, but not without hope. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And that music only means one thing, Aubrey. It's, it's a segment that I need. It's called Grinds My Gears. Grinds My Gears. Let's tell the people what it is, Brian. Let me explain. Grinds My Gears is like where you and I, we, we, vent, we vent about our pet peeves, yes. little annoyances. Yes. We understand there's a war in the Ukraine. Yes. We understand that there is poverty and racism and other things yes. that are much bigger deals. That's not the point of this segment. The point of this segment is... You know, people who name their dogs people names, right? Like that kind <laughs> of thing. That. <laughs> that kind of thing. I just came right, on top dogs, of my head. Dogs and strollers. Uh, dogs yeah, and strollers yeah. is always are. So yeah. this serves as a cathartic time for Aubrey and I. You may hopefully that you use this as an opportunity to go. Yes, I need to hear that. Thank you mm-hmm. and amen. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go first. Here you go. You ready? Okay, I'm so ready. This happened on Saturday night. I'm watching the NCAA basketball tournament. Okay. I love watching sports. Yes. And you know that I get really worked up yeah. when I watch sporting yeah. events, especially if they're my team. But the UNC Duke game, this and I'm I'm kind of scrolling Twitter while watching the game because you, it's fun to see what everyone else is saying. About the game. Yes. Gotcha. And then there's always that guy, <laughs> that pastor, that theologian, that whoever, who in the middle of the game writes... If I can get this excited about a game where people are bouncing a ball, but not get equally excited about the forgiveness of sins as I join with my church for uh, worship tomorrow morning, something is wrong. (laughs) And I probably read that That like three times. I probably read that like three times Uh on Twitter. And I want to be like, listen, like the final four is just a different experience than weekly worship on Sunday morning. I don't think you want me painting my face and doing the wave at the gate <laughs> at church on Sunday. I think it's a different deal. I get the sentiment behind it. Okay. You want me to be eager. Right, you want right. me as a church parishioner to be ready to gather, to be excited about the gospel. I can amen all of those things. Yeah. But I also act differently when the Mets are playing. <laughs> 
and I'm at the game than when I do at church, and I think that's appropriate. But just don't be wet blanket guy on Twitter, okay? Like we don't need to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, like you don't need to be you don't need to be everybody's pastor. If you want to say that to your church on Sunday morning, that's fine. But also, this is where I actually have a real problem with this because I do think what that does is inadvertently divide the sacred and the secular. Mm-hmm. Why can't we celebrate a game and say, what a great gift from God that we have sports. I'm, I love sports. That is a gift from God. Like I don't, this bugs me that it has to be like, See, it grinds your gears. It, yeah, it grinds my gears. So let's the put it in your world. can only be at yeah. church. Let's put it in your world. Okay. New Marvel movie comes out. Yeah. And you're like, I can't wait to go to Marvel yes. on Saturday night. Kevin and I were going to go see the new Marvel movie. Yes. I'm so excited. Yes. And somebody comments, are you as excited for church tomorrow morning? <laughs> You'd be like, I, I, I don't even know how to answer that. Like, that's, I, I, yes, that's I will not dignify that with a response, sir. There you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, are you ready for mine? You know I am. <laughs> okay. I'm not even sure how to how to begin this, Brian. There is... There's a person mm-hmm. who shall rename who shall remain nameless. Not in, if I can help it. In our lives, <laughs> mine, Your life. mine and Kevin's life, who is not part of our church, who is not um therefore, you know, not under our care, not under or even our spiritual authority. Yes. We're not friends. But this person goes to a church uh down the road from our church. I'll just leave it like that. And has decided they don't like some things about Renewal Church, about the way we lead or certain stances we have. And I, I, well, let me, let me finish and then I'll tell you. And has decided to make it his mission to send us, I don't know, books, articles. To you and Kevin. To me and Kevin. Emails, uh, messages, letting us know things that he thinks are wrong and need to be changed. We just got a book over the weekend. Did which I get is why your address is... correct? Did I get your address correct? <laughs> <laughs> which is why this is fresh on my mind. Now, here's here's my problem. This is why it grinds my gears. One, whatever version of us this guy has decided we are in his mind is actually very inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like uh, part of me is like, bro... Invite us out to coffee. Let's talk. And I think you'll realize we're actually probably really, really similar. Like, I think you're assuming some things because my husband is pretty outspoken against racism. So you're putting us in a category of people or churches or what have you that may or may not be accurate about us. But two, why do why is this your business? Like, you're not in our church. You have your own church community. Go correct them. You, why are you coming? It feels like he's coming at us as like it's his mission, yes. but we don't know the guy. <laughs> and so it is, it grinds my gears because it is like manspreading and mansplaining at its worst. Like part of me wants to be like, come, come to Renewal Church and serve with us and like sit under our teaching and let's get to know each other. And then if you have criticism, I want to hear them. Yes. But because you're outside of like our purview, I'm not sending him things that I think he should be corrected by. It is the weirdest. It's like he's made us his mission. And it's so weird, Brian. And I I mean, part of me is like, is this a stalker? Do I call 911? <laughs> like it's getting, we, and we don't respond because it's just like, uh, there's not, 
that would be uh, pouring gasoline on it. Yes, yeah. yes. So it is very, very bizarre. That it is, is bizarre. I think bizarre is the right word. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay, I got one more with okay. a limited time we All have right, here. Are you ready? Because yes. this is going to hit close to home I'm for you. I'm so ready. It grinds my gears that all of these Batman movies neglect to put Robin in the movie. <laughs> you really love Robin that much? So, a little background. I grew up, uh, me and my buddy, we used to play Batman and Robin all the time. Oh, Sometimes my Robin? brother and I did, and I was usually Robin. You were Robin. But I also oh, don't, it doesn't, it also doesn't feel authentic to... Uh, to the story. To the comic books? Yes, it doesn't feel like okay. there was Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the Adam West show back in the day had Robin, right? That's the original Batman. Yeah. I know there's a comic book, but yeah. like that's kind of the standard we all look to. Brian, speaking of human trafficking and other devastating things in the world, um, I don't know if you heard yesterday the news of the shooting in Sacramento. Yeah. A mass shooting left six dead, 12 injured. Totally horrific situation, varying degrees of injuries in an area of downtown Sacramento, where, of course, there's just a ton of nightlife. And investigators actually believe it was multiple shooters that opened fired steps away from the Capitol. That story is continuing to be unfold. More and more news is coming out. But just a horrific, horrific act of violence mm-hmm. in the city of Sacramento. Our, our, obviously, our prayers, our thoughts go out to them. And it seems like there was like a, I was watching this morning. There was a large fight. Mm. Right before they think might have that uh, preceded this. Okay. But then the tragedy of it all, it's all tragic, right? It's all tragic. But the real where you you, the gut punch of it all becomes not everybody who got killed or shot was in the fight. Exactly. In fact, most of them probably were not. And you're like, oh, they were just out enjoying the uh, the night. They Mm -hmm. were out, you know, having a party. Mm -hmm. They were out in Sacramento and it could have been anybody yeah. like if yeah. that were ever my family I would always be like why them why not that like what yes you know that I always think there's like people who may have never been down there before it just mm-hmm. happened to be there at that point the randomness of it yeah just perpetuate just accelerates the tragedy for me yeah and I was reading someplace else that Sacramento is actually really really strong on gun control mm. and so to happen in a city like that not that that makes it worse or better but to happen in a city like that where they're pretty like locked down on those things is just so devastating to hear then of course we continue to go you know back to the news of the Ukraine and I Brian I don't know if you saw this but Ukraine claimed 410 bodies found in some of their recaptured towns and Zelensky's accusing Russia of genocide but the images of those it's so bad oh just absolutely horrific and devastating and sad and Oh, I mean, the amazing thing to me is that Zelensky and the Ukrainian people just do not give up. They keep on fighting. But I don't know if you saw that Zelensky uh, gave a video address at the Grammy Awards last night and basically said some really profound things. Our musicians wear body armor instead of tuxedos. They sing to the wounded in hospitals, even to those who can't hear them. But the music will break through anyway. He said, fill the silence with your music. Fill it today to tell our story. I mean, just... You know, we're we're watching this now. How many weeks out is it? And yeah. then you hear about the shooting and you think about some of the human trafficking needs around the world. Brian, you and I are pastors. Let's just have a let's have one of those hard pastoral conversations for a few minutes. What in the world do we do in light of such devastating things happening? Yeah, the world? It's, it really is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Like you were talking about the Ukraine stuff. I was watching the Today Show this morning. And they preface their report with, like, some of the images you're about to see are difficult. And you're like, mm. oh, okay. And it's 
I'm sure you've seen them by now, just the videos of the of the trucks going through and the number of bodies oh, just laying. And you're like, these so are sad. innocent people. Yeah. Like, these are just yeah. innocent people. And the atrocities that have happened in, in some ways, you're like, I want to avoid this. In other ways, I have to see this. I have to know what's going on. And you, the shooting in Sacramento, and like you said, to individual tragedies that maybe listeners are having yeah, in their own life. And right. you go, what? how do you make sense of evil, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make sense of pain? And I think uh, as Christians— uh, you know, we talk about this often. I don't know how, apart from Christ, people do make sense of any of it. You, you just have to answer randomness. Right. You just have to answer randomness. Right. Uh, I think it reminds us as followers of Jesus that there is present, there is the presence of evil in this world. That's like, right. When you're watching the stuff in the Ukraine, that is pure, unadulterated evil. Period. When you hear about a shooting where random people get killed in Sacramento, that is pure, unadulterated evil. When yes. you're reading about child uh, human trafficking, mm-hmm. that's evil. Like there yes. is evil in this world. There's brokenness in this world. There's sickness in this world. It, but that God tells us that he will be present in the midst of our brokenness and that we can turn to him, I think, is is one way that we hold on. And the other is that, that we're living in this already not yet, but the, mm-hmm. the not yet is that he is victorious. That's what we're about to celebrate Amen. at Easter, that's right? right? Like Brian. Easter. That's good. That makes a difference in this conversation, that there is coming a day when there's no more genocide and atrocities and mass shootings and whatever child trafficking and whatever else it might be. And so in the midst of that, we hold on to that hope. Mm -hmm. Like I've said this to people before, if this world was all that there is, then I do think God has some explaining to do. Right. 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 Like. But this world's not all there is. There's coming a day where none of this happens. And so I think that it doesn't make it easier if your child was tragically shot or if whatever right. else. Right. Uh, but it does help give some hope and some perspective that um, that, that we can hold on and we can we can look forward. So yeah, wh- that's what good. do you tell good people? Good word, Brian. I mean, I, I you know, I would say I would say one, it is it does. There's no way to explain evil because it's actually like by definition, it's inexplicable. It's mm. chaotic. It's insensible. It's irrational. And so you really can't wrap your minds around. And of course, we have theological reasons because of sin in this world that impacts us individually, but also impacts um, disease, impacts systems like trafficking that are evil, impacts war. Like all of that is the presence of sin and evil in this world. I think we can't brush aside um, spiritual warfare that causes a lot of this stuff or is interacting with this stuff, then I think, Brian, your word is just exactly right. Like, apart from Jesus, mm-hmm. we would despair. That's right. I mean, y- you know, you cannot you cannot see these stories and and do anything but weep and grieve and lament, mm-hmm. except for those of us who trust and believe that Jesus is making all things new and that somehow Jesus is even near these young women and girls, mm. near those in Ukraine, near um, the the victims of the shootings and their families. And some of those stories we will hear and we will go, oh, wow, only God could work as mysteriously that he's like in, in the middle of that evil. And again, also at the same time, Writing a greater story, like That's you right. said, Brian, where one day there will be no more pain, no more evil, no more sorrow. And it's like, I, I think this is, we just have to double down and lean into our faith in seasons like this. We have to acknowledge the pain, but also cling to the hope mm-hmm. or else what else do we have? Right. And this is where you're so grateful that we have the faith we have in Christ 
we have the word of God and we can trust that he is at work making all things new. Brian, I don't even want to talk about this next story. My heart is hurting. <laughs> you love Disney. I love I love Disney. And more than that, I love Disney theme parks. Yes, you like, do. Like since I was a little girl, I have been I grew up I didn't grow up in Anaheim. I spent a few years in Anaheim. We would go very regularly. Disney theme parks are in my soul. They are in my blood. I love them. I'm constantly I'm either there or planning a vacation to go there. My husband does not feel the same way. He doesn't really like theme parks in general. So I love Disney theme parks as long as I'm not paying for them. Yeah, that's because true. They're they so are expensive. incredibly expensive. So let, let me try to ease your tension that you're feeling a little bit. Do we want to tell the people what we're talking about before we dive into the tension? Yeah, go for it. For, the, for those of you who don't know, we're assuming most of you know by now, but uh, Disney has made a decision over the weekend, kind of in response to what people are calling the don't say gay bill to no longer use gendered language at the parks, meaning, for an example, uh, instead of saying, hello, boys and girls, hello, princes and princesses, they're going to say, hello, friends, hello, everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this means. They haven't said anything about their bathroom designations. Like, none of that has come up, but at least in their language. And uh, particularly at the end of the evening when Disney has a big fireworks show, they usually say something like, boys and girls mm-hmm. ga- of all ages gather around, that language will change. So that's what we're kind of responding to here. Okay, so set my mind at ease. Okay, and all of this, as you said, goes back to the uh, the it's it's a parental rights bill. Yeah. Many people have begun calling it the "Don't Say yeah. Gay" bill in Florida, in which this is, all it's saying really is not to be talking about sexual orientation and sexual identity between kindergarten and third grade. Thank like, you. I told you off air. I'm starting to feel like I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Like, I often feel like I understand where people are coming yeah. from, but there's such an outcry about this bill, and I read it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't get it at yeah. all. And so I people are, are saying Disney is now, you know, they're kind of, it's become Ron DeSantis and the Republicans in Florida against Disney. Against Disney, kind of, yeah. And so there's this big call for a Disney boycott. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, I, I am not a big boycotter. Okay. 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 Uh, I do think, you know, you make a statement by where you put your money and this and that. Yeah. I do not right. think, I, I don't think much good. Here's, let's just put it this way. Okay. I will feel perfectly comfortable going to Disney World. You will? Perfectly oh, comfortable. Brian. Okay. I You're setting my heart perfect, at rest. I will feel perfectly comfortable watching a Disney movie. Yeah. At the same time, I feel really uncomfortable with where they're heading. And I feel really uncomfortable where I'm uh, really uncomfortable with the general tone of our culture mm. right now. Uh, Aubrey, as a, as a pastor, as a father, as a, the the winds of change within our culture, yeah. not just Florida, yeah. the winds of change within our culture and the polarization within our culture is um, is sur- nah, surprising is too small of a word. It's scary. It's surprising. It's shocking. It's ha- it's, it feels like it's happening fast. It does. I feel like, well, I even read this. Uh, did you know the... Um, his first run, uh, President Obama's first, uh, when he first ran in 08, mm-hmm. do you remember the questions? He was staunchly, as was Hillary Clinton there, for traditional marriage. And now you think yeah. about where yeah. we've come in 14 years. Wow. And so you do. I am not one of these people uh, who usually raises a flag and is like, oh, we've got to just stand up and protect our kids. Yeah. I'm starting to feel that mm. way now because – it's really incessant upon mm. the 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 things that are being taught to our kids, but also more than that, Aubrey. You and I were just talking about the messages that are being sent 
in movies and TV yeah. shows and yeah. everything, it feels like, yeah. uh, whereas uh, years ago, I would have said, oh, the people who are saying that are are just, they're, they're alarmists. Yeah. Just protect your kids as you will. Right. Talk, and I still believe I, that I to a level. I think I would have said that too. Mm-hmm. Now I see it. Like I see it right now in this uh, arena right now. So no, I don't feel like I need to stand on you a soapbox and Disney. be like I'm boycotting all yeah. things Disney. Yeah. Like I'm not going to keep my kids from that, but. I do think that we as parents need to take a very active role into what our kids are learning, what our kids yeah. are watching, yeah. uh, what our kids are hearing on social media and in the classroom. Yeah. Like the very fact that we're arguing whether kids kindergarten through third grade should be taught and, and encouraged and pointed towards and whatever about sexual identity and sexual orientation let me tell you something. When my kid was in kindergarten to third grade, I wanted them to know nothing about heterosexual relationships, homosexual Thank relationships, uh, any of it. And yeah. the fact that we as a culture are arguing whether kindergarten to third graders should be exposed to any of this, yeah. any of this, yeah. and that part of this bill is saying that parents need to be told and people are arguing about this is really red flag scary to me. Yeah. It's not, it is, has a lot to do with what they're wanting to teach the kids. But the very fact that it is debatable that whether or not our kindergarten kids and our first grade kids should be talking about sexual orientation, yeah. I start thinking to myself, when have we lost our freaking minds? Yeah. yeah. Because I don't want, as I said, my kids are way past that age now. Mm-hmm. I don't want them learning about uh, heterosexual sex right, in the second right. grade. That's no. completely inappropriate. It's inappropriate. And, and so the very fact that this is – do you remember uh, we were talking another time where we said we uh, about mental health, that we're making our kids do things younger than we used to. Oh, absolutely. I mean we, we just talked about this earlier in the show today. And I, I do think this is, that, this is that same conversation to put these very adult, very adult themes – on to little innocent yes. children to me begins to reek of child abuse. And like, we're using kids to um, yeah. to move forward our own our agendas. agendas yeah. is is craziness. Yeah. So yes, are, have some people gone too far about banning books? Yes, mm-hmm. sure. But the very fact that we are having conversations about sexual identity and orientation mm-hmm. in first grade kids, and also uh, I read an article the other day about a teacher who was like. Oh, you know what? I talk openly about, uh, you know, homosexuality and, tra- and 24 of my 32 students have come out as gay. You're like, well, the statistics don't match. Right. There. That's not actually accurate. So what you're talking about is we, we, we cannot be for young, young, young kids being made to make decisions for the rest of their lives. Their brains have not even developed. No, I mean, especially it's for boys, pressure. it's right. until they're 24, their brains haven't developed. And so I, I it is, I, and that's the thing, you don't see that it's peer pressure. It's so wild to me. And that there aren't more people standing up saying this is too young. Even people who are like, maybe do have more of an agenda, like, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of an anti-traditional family agenda I would think even they would want to be protecting like the littlest of the littles from being swayed in a direction that is just inappropriate for a little kid to be made. And I I do think you're right. It seems like the world has lost its mind, Brian. But then what do we do? So I think this is where I this is honestly where the rub is for me, because I, you know, I know we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. I always want to be a light to people who are hurting and wrestling and don't know Jesus. I don't think. 
I do not think the voices of those who aren't following Jesus and aren't in submission to him should dictate our sexuality, Mm -hmm. period. That said, I want to be a listener. I want to be empathic. I want to be a bridge to the gospel. I I can't, we can't go and pretend like this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. It was just out at a church in Seattle. And this is a massive thing amongst their youth that are beginning to identify as transgender or as pansexual or the... So what do we do? This is happening in the church and outside of the church. What do we do? Yeah. This is where I'm very like, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I, I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. Lord, what do we do? Yeah. I think as parents, let me speak as a parent yeah. rather than as a pastor. Yeah. I think as parents, <laughs> excuse me, uh, we need to not put our head in the sand and go, oh, my, my little Johnny here is a good Christian kid. Mm-hmm. He's never going to. They're getting these messages much more than you know. So we can't keep our head in the sand, right? We need to know, and we need to be at the age-appropriate level. Their conversation should be coming from the parents and not from my teachers or not from here or there. I want to be having those, and those are difficult conversations, and I can't say that I've had them with my kids or I've done them well with my kids. But I think we need to... Rather than just scare and, and no, you're never watching. What are you telling your kid? You're never watching anything Disney again. You know what the kid's going to ask? Why not? Exactly. Why can't I? Uh, and so I think keeping the lines of communication open with your children is the most important thing and helping them understand here's as a Christ follower, here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. Yeah. And I need you to see why and understand that what's going on around us, you know, what we want to love our neighbors, we're going to treat, we're not going to. That's gonna, right. But but here's what, what what's going on. I think we just need to have open lines of communication with our kids. Yeah, that's good, Brian. And let me give the Pat Church answer, but it's a Pat Church, mm-hmm. church answer because it's important. Uh, I just think we need to be praying. Totally. Praying for our communities, praying yeah. for our schools, yeah. praying for our kids, yeah. uh, loving our teachers. Like be, be that parent who brings a gift card to the teacher. Oh, I love that. That's so Do good. those kinds of things instead of like, I'm going to protest outside my school. Like be a positive change yeah. agent without buying into everything the school might be teaching. Yeah, that's a that's a good example for all of us. That's a good example for all of us, Brian. All right, so to sum it up, what I heard you say is I can still go to Disney. You can. But I we need to be thinking critically and teaching our children to think critically about some of these messages that they're being told. And like you said, this agenda seems to have moved so quickly, it's only going to move Uh, faster and faster so let's be on our knees praying for wisdom that comes straight from god himself so much everybody for joining us today we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m for brian Fromm, i'm aubrey sampson and you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.